Um, Florence Chadwick. No, that's not Florence Chadwick. That totally is not Florence Chadwick. Okay, here's Florence Chadwick. So the story is Florence Chadwick is one of those amazing women that uh, set out to swim channels. She did this in 1952. She set out to swim from California coastline to the Catalina Island. It's about 26 miles. I, w- I would tell you what that's in kilometres, but I'm hopeless at the conversion. Um, sorry? 42. Um, 42 kilometres. Swim, 42 kilometres. Um, so, she sets out. She has a team, a support team in the boat, and, and that includes her mum, and they're there just supporting her, keeping her going. 15 hours into the swim... This, this really heavy fog descended. And so it caused like a fog for her. You know, she, she, she can't see the destination anymore. She, she got discouraged. She lost her confidence. She tells the people in the boat, I, I, I just think I can't make it. And they said, no, keep going, keep going. And they egged her on for a whole other hour. She kept going. But eventually, just the, the heavy fog, just so cold and miserable, she just gave up. And she, they hauled her out of the water and she's sitting on the boat and just at that point there's a, a, a gap in the fog and she discovers she was only a, a mile left to go. So close and yet discouragement knocked her out. And that happens, doesn't it? It, it happens for Christians. Um, I've got uh, friends at the moment uh, when they were young, they were involved in a, a really good, vibrant church with a well-known Christian leader, and that was a real time of growth for them. They had lots of really good input. They were really encouraged by what was going on. Uh, we were catching up recently, and they shared that the, that well-known Christian leader recently left his wife, and that's really knocked them because uh, it, it just makes them look back on all the things they learnt and, and there's sort of this question mark over there, his motives, so, uh, what was going on in his life then, what was going on in his life now. And, and so I can see the discouragement flowing into their life and they're really asking questions, you know, whether they can keep going, whether they, they're likely to give up. What's interesting is that a very similar, similar situation is unfolding as we open up this letter to the Philippians. Uh, They're in danger of being discouraged. So just a bit of background. Uh, Paul is writing this letter. So so Philippi, first of all, locate it. We saw it on the map earlier. Uh, Here's a colour version. It's basically between modern-day Greece. Is that right? Greece and Turkey. Um, And it's on that sort of strip of land over the top. Um, It it was built as a Roman city so it was actually rebuilt by the Romans and the idea was that as soldiers retired they were given a block of land um, and and this was their sort of new found life uh, new wealth and and they built this whole city out of all these Roman retirees so it was a it was a Roman city even though it wasn't actually in Rome and um, if you know if you've read Acts you know that the start of the church in Philippi was pretty exciting so this was a place where Paul arrives and he goes down to the local river looking for some, a place where people are praying, meets Lydia who, who sells materials and in, the church ends up starting in her house. Talk about a church plant. That was just a you know, meeting in her home. And then not a, few, a few days later, Paul and Silas, they're out preaching. They're, they've been followed by this servant girl who just keeps 
harassing them. And so in the end, he tur- Paul turns around and he, he drove out a demon from this girl. And that led to Paul and Silas being put in prison. And then, when they were in prison, they're there in the middle of the night, praying and singing songs, and God sends an earthquake and releases Paul and Silas from prison. And so then, through that, the jailer becomes a Christian, his whole family comes to know Jesus. What an amazing thing to have happening as this church started. That was 51 AD. When we read this letter, though, it's maybe six at least years later, might be more like nine, And it seems like the church is discouraged. You can see in today's passage the things that are going on. Notice in verse 12, Paul's now in jail and God hasn't released him this time. Uh, The Roman Empire has imprisoned Paul. The founder of their church is no longer free and preaching the gospel. That's pretty discouraging. Verse 30, where we finished up, did you notice that the Philippian church is experiencing opposition? Uh, They've got some sort of uh, persecution maybe going on. And if that wasn't enough, by the time you get to chapter 4, it turns out there's there's a a bit of division going on in the church. Two key women, Euodia and Syntyche, they they were obviously key workers with Paul early on, so quite influential women and important in the life of the church, and they're fighting. Here's a church, there's stress outside, there's stress inside. That would be pretty discouraging. And so Paul is writing this letter to, and in this passage especially, I reckon he's writing to encourage them to keep standing for Jesus and standing together for Jesus, not letting all these pressures drive them apart. So here's where we're going. Uh, He does that by saying that Christ is preached no matter what. He says Christ is glorified no matter what. And therefore, we can stand together, no matter what. How about I pray, and we'll get into the passage. Heavenly Father, please help us to see the encouragement in this passage for us, as we want to stand together for Jesus as a young church family, that we might realise that you are powerfully at work through your gospel, through Jesus, so that more and more people might know him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Paul wants to encourage these Christians, and so he first of all he points at his own life. Don't see me in prison, see what God is doing because of this moment. So Paul's in jail, but he's not discouraged. Verse 12, the gospel is still going out. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. How? Well, first, because his life is declaring the gospel. The the, the people guarding Paul are seeing the gospel play out in his life. Um, He suffers because Christ suffered for him. Verse 3. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So that's great. But also, Paul being in prison means that more people are talking about Jesus and more people are proclaiming him. There's different people for different reasons. So some of them love Paul. They're sad that he can't preach the gospel. They're joining in the work. Others envy Paul and they envy his ministry. They they, they want people to follow them instead of him. And so they're also preaching the gospel. What's amazing, it's sort of really counterintuitive in how Paul responds to this. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about the motive. His only goal is people hearing about Jesus. Look at verse 14. 
And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. It sounds weird to say that someone could be preaching a correct gospel for the wrong reasons. But I actually think that's quite feasible. (laughs) I know it from experience. So um, when we moved up to the Redlands, uh, in order to start this church, um, this is about two and a half, nearly three years ago now, um, it was like the week after we started with Redlands that um, Gateway announced that they were also planting a church in the Redlands area and probably near us. And then it was not long, the same year that we started here, they started there and we started with 40 people when we first started. They started with 240. I can tell you there is every temptation to focus on my preaching and, and, and how, how attractive or how much I'm going to pull people in. I'm not saying that I set out to do that. I just knew the hard work was, had to be done because the temptation was there. It is so easy, even though I was going to preach the right gospel, to, I could have been motivated by the wrong reasons. When actually it's just great that the gospel's going forward, isn't it? <laughs> Who cares where? Who cares how? What gives Paul joy is that the gospel is preached, no matter what. But Paul goes further. Uh, Paul's not worried about his future either. So um, Paul's situation is, is not long before uh, he was arrested. You know, there was a riot in Jerusalem where the Jews tried to kill him. Uh, and he was then put in uh, under guard and they, there was an assassination attempt as they tried to move him to Caesarea. Um, he has had his life under threat. And so he goes on to say, look, I could die and I could live, but that doesn't matter to me because Christ will be glorified either way. So, verse 18, Paul says, I'm rejoicing because people are praying, I've been given my spirit, and so no matter what happens, I will be saved, I'll be um, uh, delivered. Verse 18, yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, my salvation. There's a couple of interesting things going on here. Uh, first notice the uh, the trinity moment so the spirit of god is also the spirit of jesus um you can talk about it that way because spirit is but the father son and spirit are all god and so there's nothing wrong with what paul says three in one one in three but also notice how paul thinks of deliverance deliverance applies if he dies but deliverance applies if he lives as well Um, verse 20, either way, Jesus will be glorified. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I'll have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So uh, he unpacks that. Jesus will be glorified if Paul dies. Yes, there's been a recent assassination attempt. And we know that, that death is such a dishonoring moment for our bodies, isn't it? Uh, You only have to go to a funeral with an open coffin and there is the person you loved and yet all the 
the cheekiness, all the go-get-em attitude, it's gone. Death dishonours. But because Jesus saved Paul, death for him is now better than life. Uh, Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Jesus will be glorified if Paul dies. But I want us to really focus on the fact that if Paul lives, he will be glorified. And not just this waiting for death. If Paul keeps on living, he will use his body to point others to Jesus. Verse 22, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. And he's already showing that in the way he's handling this jail situation. He's in the body and even though he's in prison, the gospel keeps going forward. Um, So Paul sort of reached this point of weighing up, which is the better option? If he leaves the body, he expects to be immediately with Jesus. And can you notice here, there's no purgatory. Paul doesn't say there's a gap between when he will die and when he'll be with Jesus. So after death, immediately in Jesus' presence, verse 22, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And yet Paul expects to stay in the body simply because it will bring Jesus more glory. Verse 24, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Salvation means Paul is in a win-win situation. If he dies, Christ is glorified. If he lives, Christ is glorified. There are no bad options. And I really want us to see that and I reckon for our time and place, we need to really hear that, that, that salvation is not just future. Life now for the Christian is not merely a waiting room for death. It's an opportunity to showcase God, Christ's glory in our lives. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of uh, this lady. Um, I threw up before, accidentally. Um, Joni, uh, Johnny Erickson Tardin. Um, When she was 17, in 1967, uh, she fractured her spine when she jumped into a swimming pool and it was too shallow. And she, what then was known for speaking about Jesus, uh, she has lived with that condition for 50 years and she says it's still hard. Here's what she said in a recent interview. I wake up in the morning facing one more year, one more day of quadriplegia. One more day of someone, somebody giving me a bed bath and doing my toileting routines and putting my legs through la- range of motion exercises and strapping on my corset and pulling up my support hose and getting me dressed and sitting me in a wheelchair and brushing my teeth and blowing my nose and brushing my hair and I'm overwhelmed before the day has hardly even begun. It's like, I can't do this, Jesus. I have no strength for this. I have no energy for this. I am sure Joni looks forward to heaven. She says so. But she also says that Jesus hasn't just given her future hope, he's given her purpose now. Here's how she says it. The best cure for depression when I become overwhelmed with earth's challenges is to go out there and find somebody else who's hurting worse than you are and provide them hope. Encourage them, serve them, minister to them, uplift them. She says this is the the lesson that God has taught her in this wheelchair. 
Uh, here's how she says it. Just like God turned water into wine, he turned this wheelchair into a classroom, as it were. Because if you look at a wheelchair, most people think you're confined, you are imprisoned. But hey, with Jesus, this is the prison that has set me free. And I'm not confined to a wheelchair. Oh, sure, I might be a wheelchair user, but my wheelchair is this classroom in which God has instructed me on how to trust him in the hard places. I reckon Johnny echoes Paul. Salvation doesn't just mean dying is going to be great. It means living is Christ. Living has purpose. Christ is glorified no matter what, whether we die or whether we live in the most difficult of circumstances. And so, Christ's people can stand together. So, um, Paul says, look, if the gospel spreads, I'm imprisoned, that's great. If I die, if I live, that's great. And so, you guys, look at what's happening for me and realise there's every reason to stick together for the gospel. This is the message that will succeed no matter what. Verse 27, Paul urges the church in Philippi to live worthy of Jesus. And what does he mean by that? It means working together to make Jesus known. Have a listen. Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. It's been quite sad recently, hasn't it? That um, sometimes people who follow Jesus have spoken out in the media, they've said things, and sometimes they've been contentious, and it's been the Christians on Facebook, at least my Facebook feed, that, that are sort of busily debating what should have been said or shouldn't have been said and pulling the person apart. And Paul says opposition from, to the gospel shouldn't divide Christians. It should divide Christians from non-Christians. Listen to verse 28. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You really start to see what Paul is doing in this letter. The Philippians knew Paul had been arrested. There were all this discouragement coming out in their own experiences. Their, their church, there's a, some sort of debate going on. And they've got to look at that and say, no, you know what? The gospel is still going forward. Christ is still being glorified. Let's not give up on this. Let's not start pulling each other apart. Let's stand firm for Jesus and keep holding out this wonderful message. That's what matters. So when Christians are under attack in the news and, and people are talking about it and around the, the water cooler, I know my natural reaction, I, I, I will tend to withdraw from the conversation or at least be quiet. But actually it's a good moment to, to own Jesus. Listen to their concerns. We don't have to fight. And, and, but we can own the name of Jesus and at least affirm the gospel whenever it's clearly spoken. Okay. So, so that's... that's taking us through the message we stand together because christ will be preached no matter what and christ will be glorified no matter what here how do we pull that down to some practical stuff let me throw out three suggestions of of very practical things for us that help stand together my first suggestion is 
how about we focus on the gospel message rather than the messenger? Let's make the gospel message the focus rather than the message, messenger. Um, see, there are people who preach a different gospel. They, they don't preach the gospel, and that makes me sad and that makes me mad. I am not happy about that. But there are other people who preach the gospel, they just don't do it the way I'm really comfortable with. I don't, I don't like their method necessarily, or I'm a bit uneasy about some of their motives. I think what Paul is teaching me is to rejoice that the message is going out, even if I have questions about the method. Uh, not get hooked up on the messenger. It, it, it still means that we have varying levels of engagement. Like as a church, there are people that we really share a lot in common. We get behind them financially, support them in a, in a more practical way. But we can still rejoice whenever the gospel is preached. We don't have to, to ha- take a, a critical stance all the time. Focus on the message rather than the messenger. Uh, Secondly, is focus on Christ's glory, not my comfort or convenience or success. Um, Now, I think I can see this most clearly when I think about praying for the persecuted church. If I pray for persecuted Christians that they'll have comfort, God, I, I definitely pray for that because God can answer big prayers, but it usually means some sort of political regime change or some sort of huge social disruption needs to happen. That's not a prayer that's going to happen, as far as I know, in a hurry. So I pray for that, but probably a more practical and immediate prayer is that they can glorify Jesus no matter what happens. That they can stand clearly for Jesus when it's really hard. Now, if I, that's a good way to pray for them in that situation. Maybe it's a good way for me to think about my life too. That sometimes there are hard things, and some hard things are short, and some hard things are long, but... I can pray for things to get better, but in the end, what I really want to pray for is that whatever happens, Christ could be glorified through this. Um, in Johnny's case, Johnny's case, sorry, it, it, it took a lifetime, it's been a lifetime of this difficult situation, and yet she's kept wrestling with learning to see Jesus' glory in it. And so if we see it in Paul, we see it in Johnny. And I reckon I see it in, in people I know too. I know those families who... Because what happens is, when they make Christ's glory their focus, for Paul, for Johnny, and for these families, it's about other people. So the family that, that, that you know, they're, they're in a really difficult financial situation, but that seems to make them more generous in how they handle their stuff. Or, or the, um, the elderly saints that I can think of that are living in constant pain these days... And yet that drives them to a really rich prayer life for others. They're, they're, they're hungry to know who they can be praying for and how. There's something about focusing on Christ's glory. I, I sometimes think that the people who are in those difficult situations do it better than I do about seeing the needs of others and being turned towards the needs of others. So, focus on Christ's glory, not my comfort. Finally, the encouragement from this passage is do it together. Just a reminder that this is a community that we, we want to be supporting and encouraging each other as we seek to hold out Jesus. That we're going to have different t- circumstances and some of them are going to be hard, but standing firm for the gospel is a group activity. Now, I think of my friends who were disappointed in this Christian worker walking away and I reckon this is what they're doing right. So they're, they're struggling, they're wrestling with this situation, it's difficult for them. But they're doing that by getting together with other Christians. They, they haven't given up on going to church and they've been really open with their struggles. And they're talking it through with others. Honestly, I think that's the best way you can position yourself 
to make it through the discouragement and keep going on the other side. Because Christ's message will go out and Christ will be glorified no matter what. So we've got every reason to keep coming together and standing firm for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please keep turning our attention to Christ and his glory. Give us confidence in your message and its hope so that we would keep striving for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.